Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, social distancers. After a coronation treat, all eyes turn to the East Enders as this season's cliffhanger is revealed. A final day tighter than the bond between the Mitchell brothers. Can Jack the lad stop Dino and Big John from being bumped off into the championship? Can Troy and Hayden stop Mechanical Mikel from going all guns blazing? Will Frank pick Pulisic to pounce on a pack of wolves? And can Brendan show United how to ole? And is Paul better with his hands than David and Kepper? Plus, Mourinho looks to mastermind a Spurs surge to snatch a Europa League place. All on the podcast that is about as classy as Bianca. Better looking than Ricky. And about switching on as Wellard. It's the Game Day Preview Podcast from Talk Sport. Game Day, Premier League Preview Show. Now, our international partners might need a whole other intro for the pod because I doubt that EastEnders is as popular in Charlotte, North Carolina and Abuja, Nigeria, as it is here in England. But you never know. Uh, hello and welcome to the Game Day Preview podcast from Talk Sport, which is full to brimming with the ultimate preview of the final weekend's action, uh, taking you into places that you can't quite get to right now. Um, we've, we should have some top talent from the world of journalism with us but we spent all our money on fireworks and lasers so instead here's Darren Lewis from the Daily Newspaper The Mirror and TalkSport commentator and news reporter Alex Crook hello gentlemen how are we Hello, hello. How long did it take you to rehearse that one, then? No, no, I just did that off the top of my head. It's fine. Oh, okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Only a man with a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Liverpool are away to Newcastle on the final day. So, shall we just talk a little bit about the presentation of the trophy to Liverpool um, earlier in the week and Liverpool as a whole before uh, moving on? Because I don't think that game really means too much. Uh, what did we think? I think it was a, a terrific occasion. When you consider there were no fans allowed in the stadium, and it had the potential to be a damp squib, straightforward match between a Liverpool side that have been, let's face it, um, enjoying themselves since they won the title. Two wins from their subsequent five after two defeats in two seasons. Um, and the rest, you know, basically a, a victory, sorry, a, a winning spree to, uh, to put them alongside the best sides in the Premier League over the last 30 years. But... I think the game itself was magnificent. 5-3, explosive, unpredictable, 
three nil up, four one up, still kind of on a knife edge until the last fifteen minutes or so. Sorry, last five minutes or so. And then the presentation itself, really well done, really expertly handled. Our colleagues at Sky did a terrific job. Kelly Cates and um, Jamie yeah. Carragher and, and, and Jeff Reeves. And uh, I, I just think it was an excellent, excellent evening. Yeah, I agree with Darren. It was a good spectacle. It was a tricky situation for everybody involved. That There will be people out there who find it ironic that they spent so much money on lasers and fireworks when a few weeks ago they were trying to put staff on furlough, but that's probably wow. a debate for a separate time. Yeah. Um, on the pitch, we expected a Liverpool backlash. We got one, and um, I think what's gone unnoticed is it's now three years since they lost to the game at Anfield in the Premier League yeah. that is some achievement um, I must admit I watched the trophy presentation this morning because I was still fuming from what I'd seen on the pitch um, I, I do understand the need to present it and I understand the need to celebrate it and I thought it was spectacular to watch the camera work by Sky was nothing short of excellent when you see that Henderson shuffle and then the lift of the trophy seriously yeah. this is brilliant this is artwork by that sky cameraman because Ooh. when you see it in 10 years time you won't notice that there are no crowd behind him absolutely I mean, if you know absolutely. you will know but actually the way they framed it means that when they put it overlay it with graphics and, and intro montages in years to come that will be that will be lost and um, a quick word on the wisdom of doing it in an evening in which we are still in the middle of the pandemic and therefore attracting a crowd. How do, how do we feel about that? Because we talk a lot about social distancing and we talk a lot about how we need to control the virus. But yet, I think we, that's now Leeds presentation, Leeds getting promoted, Liverpool winning the, the title, a couple of days of celebration. You know, other, other things have also, you know, people who's gone to beaches, of course, have, have also attracted quite a lot of attention. But could that have been managed any better? Would there be a bit more advice on sort of maybe doing it during the day to make it a little bit less of a, a, an event outside the stadium? I don't know. I'm just asking. Yeah, I guess there, there is an argument for that, doing something pre-recorded and then playing out after the game. But I think the reality is that Liverpool fans would have gathered en masse for their last home game in a title-winning season anyway. So I I'm not sure that they could have done too much about that. Um, deviating slightly, I think we should say a big uh, well done to Richard Masters in the Premier League because there was a lot of scepticism going into the restart and, and ending the lockdown, not least from the likes of Troy Deeney and Danny Rose. But I think he's gone off in impeccably well. Yeah. And, and the fact that we are able to crown a team as champions deservedly so and the fact we are going to see teams relegated on the pitch uh, rather than in a ballroom or by points per game I think the Premier League deserve a huge amount of credit for that you know, there is this feeling and I've seen it that the players who had expressed concerns are wrong to do that and they've been proven wrong I don't think those players were wrong to express their concerns people no. are still dying from the coronavirus yeah. you know we, we, we love football and all of us are and delighted that we've been able to watch football but you know people are still being affected by this pandemic the virus Absolutely. hasn't gone anywhere and I, I think that from that point of view the players the administrators the people you've made the point yourself Alex about staff on furlough I bet they're not you know they're not jumping through hoops you know the ones who A have gone on furlough and B as a result of, of being on furlough and their business is still being able to operate are now in danger of losing their jobs. Mm. I don't think they're queuing up to congratulate, you know, all and sundry that this has happened. I mean, it is good, as you say, that it has happened, but I still think that there were legitimate concerns that were raised 
and legitimate concerns that still do exist. Yeah, what that did do is, is sharpen the mind of the Premier League and make sure they were absolutely on point. And maybe if players mm. like Danny Rose and Troy Deeney and Brighton however, I mean, hadn't put their head above the parapet, then, then maybe it wouldn't have gone so smoothly. Absolutely. Mm. And I think, mm. you know, the fact that it has is is probably a triumph for Richard Masters, who I think has come out of the uh, whole experience looking like a leader which the Premier League need. Um, and I think also... It, it, it did allow us, as you say, to crown champions on the pitch. And Liverpool have been such a good football team over the course of the season that it was imperative that they were able to finish what they started. There was no need for an asterisk at the end of their name. We don't, you know, I, I always felt that you paused the season once the pandemic had, had struck and lockdown had been initiated. You paused it and then come back to it when, when you could finish it. It came back sooner than maybe many of us anticipated, but ultimately it's now been completed and that is that is fantastic news. But there's still a lot to get our teeth into, quite a lot indeed. So let's get to the big game previews. Here is Bruno Fernandes skipping and sending the goalkeeper the wrong way and putting Manchester United on the scoreboard with five to play. You'd have offered, offered that at the start of the season when not many people gave us a chance of top four from the outside. I think we probably would have taken it, but there's still work to do. You know, we still have a really good Wolves team to come. Uh, the players have to keep confidence in how they've played these last two games against Manchester United and Liverpool. They've played some really good football, but we have one more to go in the league and we've got to try and finish the job. Wardai and Atra in the penalty around our thought about coming. Lift it goalwards and it's turned in by Jamie Vardy. The Premier League centurion scores again for Leicester City. Everybody dreams of playing in the Premier League. Well, I, I certainly did growing up. Uh, Sunday might be my 300th play. Great sense of pride, really, to just know that I've been able to survive it all. So I must be, I must be doing something half decent on the pitch. Manchester United go into the final day in third. Same points as Chelsea, 63, but with a much better goal difference. Leicester are in fifth, 62 points. United only need a point, but might be able to lose. Chelsea only need a point, but might be able to lose. Leicester probably must win, really. Chelsea are in a fortunate position that the other two are facing one another. But if they draw and Chelsea lose... It's United and Leicester that go into the Champions League. Both games, the biggest of the weekend, are live and exclusive on TalkSport game day this Sunday from four o'clock. In a sense, Alex Crook, are Leicester in a better position because the others know that they've got that crippling draw in their mind and might be caught between two stalls? They know, they win, they're in. Well, first and foremost, I'm going to be delighted that I'm going to be at Selhurst Park and nowhere near uh, the King Power Stadium and nowhere near a television because I think this will be a game that I'd be watching very much from behind the sofa. I think it's really difficult, and this is my concern and my worry that United may miss out, to go into a game with a mindset that a draw will do. It's very hard to play for a draw. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but it will be in the back of their mind. They don't have to go for the jugular. Leicester clearly do. And that could be a dangerous scenario. I think Chelsea will get something against Wolves. I know you were very disenchanted after the performance against Liverpool, but that was the champions' last home game. Hadn't lost to Anfield in donkey's years. This this is a different kettle of fish for me, and I think Frank Lampard will send the team out and do the job. So it will come down to whether Leicester can beat Manchester United. Maybe in some ways the best thing that can happen for United is that Leicester score early and bring them out. 
Well, or alternatively, Leicester do come out all guns blazing, knowing that they need to win and then get picked off on the counter-attack, which at the beginning of the season in particular, Manchester United were very good at, Darren Lewis. Yeah, they were, but they've lost their way. They look leggy. They look tired. Naked. Which, it, honestly, it was alarming to see them perform against West Ham. And also the way that they fell apart last weekend, I'm still not convinced about the goalkeeper. And I'm a big fan of De Gea. We've done a podcast before when I've kind of said, look, it's a little bit too soon for you know the very you know, the talented Dean Henderson, but I still think he's learning the game. De Gea has been Man United's player of the season for many years, but he's just going through a bit of a crisis of confidence, and we've seen the impact that that can have on the players in front of you. So that's a concern as well. The last two games, I expected United to beat Southampton with a minimum of fuss, and they didn't do that. Southampton pressed them high, pressed them early, and put them off their stride. And against West Ham, let's face it, an average West Ham team, they they weren't much better. So on the face of it, I look at Leicester and I say their form's fallen off a cliff. Two wins in their last 10 Premier League games. They, they have won their last two home games. Okay, the quality... Th- those games were Sheffield United, who uh, were were blitzed by that time, and Crystal Palace, who have been almost as bad as Norwich since the restart. Absolutely, so, absolutely. In fact, if you actually but, go back since January the first, they've won four of the last sixteen Premier League games. I mean, if that is your run of form, do you really deserve to be in the Champions League? Well, the, the table doesn't lie. You know this because we all of us use this phrase "deserve." In in football, you get what you deserve, um, and that means that if you're able to maybe just find something from somewhere on the day, this is a cup final, essentially, for Leicester played on their home turf. I've got a feeling that they might wait for United to come at them and play on the counter-attack. If Leicester do that, I'm going to be intrigued to see the possession stats because you'll have two teams who don't want the ball. Yes. Do you know, it's interesting. I think that what the United might do is start with, uh, Mason Greenwood rather than Marcus Rashford. He didn't look great last night um, uh, on in, in a game against play. West Ham. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I wonder if Rashford might start on the bench. Um, Greenwood's yeah. stats demand that he plays. Do you know only three Man United players um, have scored as many goals as he has uh, at his age? Brian Kidd, Wayne Rooney and George Best. Now, clearly it's early days and you don't want to put the pressure on the boy. But he He's just a special played, talent though, um, isn't he? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. You can see that with the way he moves and the way he reacts to things and his audaciousness with his finishing. I think think Crook's right. I think he'll play all three. I don't think there's any doubt that he'll play his best team. He'll play Pogba and he'll play Fernandes. He'll play Martial, Rashford and Greenwood. He's got to. Because if he doesn't and it backfires, he's going to get pelters and he knows that. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, and he needs yeah. to play Wan-Bissaka as well. He brought him on at half time. I mean, Fosu Mensah just doesn't pose the same attacking threat. I, I didn't no. understand that decision. And if he was to play Dan James, he would probably be the only likely replacement for Rashford. Leave Rashford on the bench, and United miss out on the Champions League. As Sam said, he will get pilloried. We're really lucky on Talksport that our games are Leicester versus Manchester United and Chelsea versus Bulls, and that will all unfold on game day on Sunday via our app, DAB Digital Radio, across the world on Premier League Live and everywhere in between. Uh, good job, Manchester United weren't going to drop another point um, since the restart. That's all I can say, Crook. That's all I can say. Because, you know, you know, they were looking so good. Uh, Chelsea against Wolves, only on TalkSport game day. TalkSport 2 uh, from 4 o'clock on Sunday. Massimo Taibi, Kostas Halkius, Dave Besson and the mayonnaise jar. The West Ham fella that no one remembers because he basically was an invisible presence in the Hammers goal. Move over. There is another kid 
in town. Um, look, Keparalitha Balaga gets a lot of stick, mainly from me, um, but it isn't fair on him. It, it actually isn't fair because it's not his fault. It isn't his fault. Mm. He is not good enough to play in the Premier League. And I'm afraid someone has to take responsibility for the mistake and replace him with either Jamie Cumming or Willie Caballero for the final game of the season. And then the club have to take a hit in the summer. There's no getting around it. It's not his fault. He had an overinflated release clause. Chelsea panicked and paid it um, because they were desperate to replace Thibaut Courtois, who went off to Real Madrid. A stats company rang them on the day and uh, they triggered it and said, don't do that. They did it anyway. But someone's got to make a big call here. They do, because... um He's not good enough for Chelsea, and that's quite a hard. He's not thing good enough say, for a single. He's not. He's not. He's not good enough for a single team in the Premier League. Well, I wouldn't go that far. He isn't. I, I think that's a stretch. He isn't. I think that's a stretch. Really? He isn't. He's not. He's not good. He's not. He can't command it. He can't deal with the physical presence of the league. He's, he's been in the seat in this league for two years now. If he was going to adapt to the league, he would have done it by now. He has got a reasonable defence in front of him. I mean, not, they're not brilliant. I mean, they've been pretty poor this season, but he's. He's had a couple of seasons in this league with a reasonable back line and he can't protect himself. There was one particular incident the other night where there was a cross coming from the left-hand side from Liverpool and he stood and watched as it just whizzed through the six-yard box. He only had to take one step and lift his hands out and catch it. It was like well, he'd forgotten that goalkeepers could use their hands. To be fair, to be fair to what you're saying, there are two examples of... You, you look at Liverpool and you look at the confidence that Alisson gives that back line having replaced Mignolet it's a completely different back five obviously you've got Van Dijk in there as well you look at West Ham and you look at the confidence that they had up until the point that they beat Manchester United with Fabianski in goal Mm -hmm. and then after Fabianski is injured and Roberto takes over the players in front of him got no confidence whatsoever because he can't catch and suddenly they fall like a stone so the importance of a good Solid Look at Pepe Reina at Aston Villa and the difference that he yeah. makes there. I mean, I watched him on Tuesday night. He took charge of so many situations, which mm. gives the defence uh, you know, the ability to puff their chests out and say, right, we're going to do this. We're going to get through this. He takes the pressure off. He comes, he claims, he pulls it into his chest. Mm. He wastes precious seconds when you're under under pressure. He's constantly barking. I mean, it, it, and it's not fair on him because he does get picked on, Kepper, because of the number of mistakes he makes, but mainly because of the number of shots he doesn't save. His statistics are appalling. Yeah. Really, I think really. Only Dimitri Karin has let in fewer goals for. Zebedee. Zebedee. <laughs> has let in more goals, rather, uh, for, uh, for Chelsea than, than, than Kepper. And, and they finished the 13th is, that season. And he used to wear tights. <laughs> But I'll tell you what's interesting. The last couple of press conferences, Man United and Chelsea, um, Solskjaer was forced to come out and say in his press conference, this will not be the David De Gea press conference. Mm. Um, and then he wouldn't take any more questions on him. And Lampard, after the Liverpool game, I was in a press conference and he was asked about uh, Kepa and the fact that a lot of Chelsea fans not having him. And it, it, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't a ringing endorsement of the player who just said, look, we need unity. We don't want to single out any individuals. We all made mistakes. Let's all come together ahead of a big, But he big can't, game. can he? Because he's worth £71.6 million. Well, and on the balance quite. sheet, it's going to make a massive hit. But Chelsea, unfortunately, are going to have to take that because it's going to cost them a lot more in the long run if they don't replace him. And again, well, it's not a personal that. attack, by the way, on him because he's probably a really nice fella and he's probably worked really hard. But he doesn't have the ability to play in an elite team in the Premier League. Yeah, it's an incredible 
bad bit of recruitment, isn't it? There's, there's no two ways about it. They have dropped an absolute ball there, and um, they dropped more balls. Just than say him. the only way to to to, to write it in some ways is just to write off a lot of money and, and, and try to. and offload him. You have to. Pulisic wasn't 100% fit the other night, but he has to start on Sunday against a Wolves team that are very, very good and probably will test Chelsea. If they don't qualify for the top four, it's not the end of the world because they're on a journey under Frank Lampard, but it will be a harsh lesson. Politically, they haven't been able to to make the decisions they want to make, but sometimes you, you've got to save yourself, and I think the goalkeeper is certainly one of those. Wolves win this game and Leicester draw and there's every chance that Wolverhampton Wanderers will miss out on the top four by a single point and that's significant isn't it because then I think it will make them look back at a couple of games that they should have won recently or not lost the Arsenal match where they had a great chance to equalise the defeat to Sheffield United and the draw with Burnley overall a terrific season with a small nucleus of players but I wonder whether or not Chelsea will be slightly vulnerable here, Crook, because Nuno has started to introduce a few more sparks into his team. Pedenza, for example, has been a player who's made a huge impact. Yeah, he has. And what Nuno has done, and I've mentioned it before in the, in the last few weeks when maybe results haven't been going as well on a consistent basis as they had earlier in the season, he's not been afraid to change the team. And he's, he's introducing new players, as you say, that they have to freshen it up. It's been a long season for them. It started in July with Europa League qualification. And I think the fact that we're talking about Wolves possibly finishing fifth in the table is, is testament to him because we've seen so many examples, Burnley probably being the highest profile one, of teams who haven't been able to balance Europa League commitments with their domestic aspirations. So I think if they do qualify for the Europa League, that is a a terrific achievement. The other irony from this game is obviously the rivalry between Tottenham and Chelsea. And and Tottenham are relying on Chelsea for a favour, not just here, but maybe also in the FA Cup (coughs) final, because if Chelsea win the FA Cup, the Europa League place would would go down to seventh. So there's all kinds of subplots. I think it'll be a good game. I think Pulisic will play... I think both teams will be attacking and I expect lots of goals. Okay, Wolves haven't won at Chelsea since 1979. Darren, another stat that you like. Keppel wasn't playing then. (laughs) And I think um, it might well be that Wolves will have looked at um, Keppel's recent performances, not just against Man United, but in the previous games as well. There are all sorts of mistakes that he's made in recent games. I was at Palace when he was horrific. Um, and they'll think to themselves, we've got a chance here. There's set pieces, balls into the box from the wide areas, um, just create that uncertainty in that back line. Going forward, Chelsea looked good. Pulisic, fantastic when he came on against uh, Liverpool yeah. on Thursday night. Abraham scoring straight away as well, much more mobile. We know that Giroud does bring a lot to the party, so let's not write him off. But I think as far as uh, the Chelsea fan- attack forces are concerned, they're going to be fine. They're going to be, uh, they're going to give as good as they get. But it's that defence of the two teams. I wouldn't really want to be in that defensive shoes or cap issues because I think Wolves might well take advantage of them. The relegation picture is not sorted, Crook. Did you go early? Not really. Um, we did. Well, I guess I did because it looks like Watford are going to go down now, and I, I said Villa. Um, you said actually, you said well, that's the relegation picture sorted about two weeks ago. <laughs> we did warn you that there were a few fixtures that might change that, but you, well, you were, you were I, I wholeheartedly like to outlandish statement, two-footed, straight in there, weren't you? Studs <laughs> up, saying, "Nope, I've said it. It's going to happen." Well, it still can, I suppose, because Watford could win their game away at Arsenal, and Bournemouth could win, uh, you know, could could win against Everton and Aston Villa could uh, 
lose against West Ham. But West Ham have got the flip-flops on. Aston Villa have come into form at the right time. I spoke to Dean Smith after the game on Tuesday night and he said that the pause in the season actually gave him a chance to reassess and recharge. Someone who has been affected personally by the pandemic. But he said, look, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to say it was a good thing because it wasn't. It wasn't a good thing because it's, it's obviously affected a lot of people's lives. But what it did allow us to do was just reshape the team a little bit. I mean, the results actually don't look like that if you look at just the restart results. But they had some really tough fixtures at the start of that period. What they have done is look much better organised in recent weeks and now seven points from nine at a crucial stage of the season. West Ham against Aston Villa kicks off at four o'clock as well. Which way is it going to go, Darren Lewis? Wow. Um, I think West Ham will win. Just to cut a long story short, I think Villa are in better form than they were. That was a terrific win against Arsenal and evidence that at this stage of the season, the fixtures out look fairly straightforward on paper. Squeaky bum time. You can never really tell how players will react to pressure. And Villa stood up to be counted against an Arsenal side that had been really impressive I was at the FA Cup semi-final and they were defensively so resilient against mm. Manchester City and yet they were again disorganised you still can't trust Arsenal at the moment for all of the uh, decent results that they've managed to eke out it's the other games Watford I, I think I said last week didn't I that if you were Aston Villa and Bournemouth you would target Watford because they were just meandering really and that first half against West Ham I think is what cost Nigel Pearson his job because I think the owners looked at that and just thought West Ham got a great side but a side that you know fragile confidence and they could have scored five in that first half yeah I was at that game and it was absolutely dreadful I mean Watford do seem to raise themselves for the odd big game, big game Liverpool for example but I haven't seen marking as bad as that since I was given a C in design technology by Miss Bowman in year nine <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I'm still bitter yeah. about it I, I guess what was clear from that performance and, and, and actually the season as a whole is, is that if Watford do somehow manage to start this weekend I, I don't see it happening the squad is in need of an overhaul uh, it lacks quality it's disjointed there's players there who, who perhaps have been there for too long they've seen off too many managers and in the end and, and Southampton took this approach after they lost 9-0 to Leicester you can't keep stacking the manager in the end the players have to take responsibility well for you say that but that's exactly what they've done over the last 8 years 9 years 13 managers in the last 9 years I mm. agree with you Crook I think that the model is wrong you can have that many managers if you're Real Madrid or a Chelsea and changing the merger is the difference between winning a trophy and not winning a trophy. When you're Watford and you need consistency, you cannot keep changing the manager because you're not building anything. You know, people go, oh, get Sean Dyche whenever a club's in trouble. But the reason why Sean Dyche has done well at Burnley is because he's been there him. for nine years. Yeah, Absolutely. He has built a team. Why has Chris Wilder done well at Sheffield United? Because he has built a team. The sum of the parts, probably the individuals won't get into bigger sides, but bring those sum of the parts together and they're fantastic in that Sheffield United team Watford I have this saying and I say again if you circle the drain often enough eventually you'll go down and I think Watford will go down because somebody needs or something needs to convince the owners that that, that model is all wrong but the only way that they can stay up is if Aston Villa lose and lose heavily 
more heavy than they do in their game against Arsenal. I mean, I can't see Watford picking up a point. Can you? Can anyone see Watford on recent displays getting anything from an away game against Arsenal? No. Well, there we go then. Um, because for all Arsenal's problems, their home form remains strong. Correct, yeah. They've got an FA Cup final to prepare for. They're going to want to go into that with a and bit of momentum. And there'll be players who are competing for places in that team. And the other thing, of course, is that, listen, once Aston Villa went ahead, you knew that if they could keep Lacazette, uh, Aubameyang quiet, then Arsenal probably wouldn't get back into the match because Lacazette doesn't score goals away from home. I think he scored eight or nine. Most of them... I think seven of that or eight of those have come at the Emirates Stadium. Well, the first goal that he scored away from home in about two years, I think, was against Wolverhampton Wanderers recently well, in the Premier go. League. There you go. And so, but at the Emirates, Lacazette is a very different proposition. So straight away, you've got two very potent strikers who are going to basically bury the Watford side that can't mark since your teacher um, gave you that yeah, semantic mark. Is a bit, sorry. Design talent. Um, <laughs> So I, I think that they're in trouble, real trouble. And as you say, Crook, these are players now fighting for their places in the FA Cup final. This is their big audition. So I think it all spells trouble for Watford. OK, I'm going to get you to do all of your predictions as to who's going to go down in a few moments. But first of all, Crook, I'm going to hand over to you because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us that anything can happen. What chances of Bournemouth pulling off the best escape since that geezer who dug Tunnel 29 under the Berlin Wall? Well, they've done it before, haven't they? Um, and they're the how they started the season on minus 17 points. Looked like we're destined for conference football at the turn of the year and he managed somehow to, to claw them back to safety. I don't see it. I don't think they'll win the game at Everton. They were okay against Southampton. They were better, but never really looked like scoring. I think like Watford, there's big problems there in the squad. There's players who've probably outstayed their welcome. Um, there's other players who've come in and it's a problem for Bournemouth because they're a small club. They've been in the Premier League for five years. They've got no real infrastructure to show for that. They don't own their own stadium. They've got planning permission for a training ground that will probably never be built. So there's going to be some fallout if they go down. But also when you've built your success, Eddie Howe has on a group of players who know the club intrinsically they've come up from League One into the Premier League sooner or later time is going to catch up with those players and you need to replace them Bournemouth haven't been able to do that and the players they've brought in mentioning no names Philip Billing probably can't point to Bournemouth on a map they're passing through they're picking up their wages and already thinking about their next Premier League move it's caused a discontent in the dressing room. There is a divide there now between the players who've been there through the long haul, through the bad days, and the players who they see as day trippers just picking up their pay packet. And I think that ultimately is why they're going to go down and why I don't think they've got enough character to go to Everton and win. That's interesting because when they signed Philip Billing, there was two choices for um, the Danish uh, international, and that was he could go to Brighton or he could go to Bournemouth. And actually, I think Brighton were offering him slightly better wages. The reason he went to Bournemouth was because he wanted to play under Eddie Howe, and Eddie Howe was the trump card that convinced him to start to sign on the dotted line at the Vitality Stadium. I think that the, one of the big problems that they have had is that they've had too too much of a tradi- transition all at once, whereas it might have been better if they'd staged this transition, moving the squad from a, a, an older and more established unit into a, a newer, fresher, younger force over a couple of seasons. They tried to do it all in one summer, and that certainly has come back to bite them in the backside. They've lost nine of the last 12 games in the Premier League. Everton didn't look that bad against Sheffield United after a couple of really poor performances. Carlo Ancelotti playing a few of the younger ones, but the core of the squad is still the same. He's still playing pretty much his first team. Look, but 
we know Bournemouth win this 1-0, the others end up both losing and they can end up staying up. It's not beyond the realms of possibility because everyone is, is unreliable, Darren. I agree. I, I think Everton are an average, average side. And I think that there is a chance. Um, and this is about this is the unpredictability of the Premier League because like Crook, I'll jump in the trenches with you, Crook. I, I believe that the bottom three would go down as late as last week. But you look at the way, again, that pressure affects people. You look at the lack of quality in the Everton side. Recruitment for both these teams has got to be a key issue in the close season because mm. Everton, they've signed some like 14 players in the last couple of years. Of all of those players, I'd probably only keep Richarlison, Andre Gomez and Luca Dina. The rest have underperformed and, and been really underwhelming. As far as Bournemouth are concerned, Crook, I agree with you. There are too many players uh, forming the core of the team that came up um, as part of that fairy story. And now what they need to do is uh, find a way to move it on. And I don't mean by buying players um, that, you know, you've beaten Brighton or this, whatever, to maybe some thinking outside the box, you know, maybe going for some players that are investments that you can build up, make better. Rather Isn't than that what they've done, done with, okay. with, with the likes of uh, Lewis Cook and uh, the centre-half Lloyd Kelly? Isn't that, wasn't that their plan? Well, in theory it was, but if you look at West Ham, for example, David Moyes has gone for Jared Bowen. He's taken him up from the Championship yeah. He's improved him. He's made him better. He was terrific in, against Manchester United he on was. Thursday night. They're looking now to get Eberichi easy from uh, QPR. Yeah. They're looking at another couple of players from the championship. Bring them up, make them better, energise or re-energise your squad. Bournemouth squad isn't it re-energised. But you can't do that with a load of players at the same time, can you? You need to do it as a sprinkling. You need to get two or three in. It's a couple of, like, like David Moyes has done. He got Suchek and, and Bowen in the transfer yeah. window yeah. and they've done a fantastic job at raising the level of the team. Absolutely. You need a proper scouting department now as well. And again, yes. I go back to the infrastructure comment. If you look at their backroom staff and, and the, the, the main decision makers there, with the greatest respect in the world, they wouldn't get jobs at any other Premier League club. They're there because they've got an affiliation with Bournemouth. They've got an affiliation with Eddie Howe. But that will only take you so far. I think they well, need an experienced director of football. There's nothing wrong with that, don't you think, Crook? I mean, they're good people. They, they, you know, they know him. They know what he wants in the transfer market. Yeah, but you Doesn't can have too many yes-men, especially when things are going badly. What Eddie Howe has needed this season is someone who's going to say, look, this is not working. This is not working. Let's try this. But he controls everything. And then, again, that, that served them well to this point. This season, too much has gone wrong and it needed a change of strategy and it needed a change much earlier. Okay, before we uh, move on, let's quickly say who we think will end up in the championship next season. Norwich will be joined by Darren Lewis. Gosh, this is a tough one. Sad to say, Watford. And even sadder to say, Bournemouth. I think they they could beat Everton, but I think Aston Villa might just do enough to stay out. Crook? I agree with Darren. I, I could probably see them all losing and the table will stay as it is. Okay, so look, I was the one who said a couple of weeks ago, it's not over yet. Anything can happen. So I'm going to be the one that sticks my neck out whilst you two just go with what's already in front of you. I'm going to say that Bournemouth are going to stay up. Wow. I hope you're right. Yeah. But if you are right, all of the criticism and the points that I've made, the constructive criticism stands. Needs to be a watershed moment. Okay. Yeah, but you, you won't play that to Eddie Howe when you want an exclusive interview next week, right? 
it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Okay, let's whip round three of the Premier League games while showing our expertise as we jump on a bit of a roulette rivalry. Producer Lucy will give us uh, each one of the Sunday games that mean absolutely nothing to preview against the clock in an attempt to make it interesting. Lucy. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Have you had a coffee today? Because you were very excitable on Sunday night. No, I can't have a coffee today, actually, because there's a man in the kitchen doing the boiler. Okay. So I'm feeling a bit deprived, actually. Ah, that's... Uh, that, so what pipes is he checking? I don't know. I just let him in. Okay. He is a qualified boiler technician. Though, okay, right. You checked his credentials. Yeah, yeah, I did. Right, let's start with Crook. Yes. Now, Alex, this week, you need to redeem yourself, and you also cannot say the words, I'm really looking forward to this game <laughs> in order to fill time. <laughs> Seven times. <laughs> and you have Man City v Norwich Crook and time starts now well I was there when Leicester put nine past Southampton at St Mary's earlier in this season it was a record equaling Premier League margin of victory I believe that could be under threat in this fixture. Manchester City, with all their attacking riches, Raheem Sterling needs four goals, I think, to maybe try and win the golden boot. It's David Silva's send-off. He's going to want to go out on a high. Norwich are absolutely dreadful. Not only are they dreadful on the pitch, they seem to have completely lost their heads with them two red cards they got in the last match. Manchester City will win this by as many as they want to, and if they want to score 10 and become the first team in Premier League history to win a match with double figures, they will do that. I think it's slightly sad that Silva has got away farewell to an empty stadium he's going to get a testimonial and he deserves it for me he is a contender certainly for Manchester City's best ever player in the Premier League stop better than company I think so Hmm. when when, when you look at it you know what he's done there 
two different players obviously he's been fantastic hasn't he and I, I, I agree with you it's a real shame that he's not going to get a proper send off but if he was to yeah. score the tenth of the ten goals that they scored yeah. this weekend then that would be some yeah. send off wouldn't it it's not yeah. beyond the realms is it do, do, do you agree with me that Manchester Christ City not. could really run right yes. absolutely 100% 100% I, I think it could be six or seven in the first half okay and what we'll do is is when it's nil nil uh, we'll insert this conversation into next week's podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Crook, you and I, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's, been, that's been Crook's reaction to all of the predictions that we bring up, apart from the one that he actually got right. Right, Lucy, what's next? Darren, you can go next. Ooh. Okay. And you have Southampton v Sheffield United. Ooh. I wanted that one. Yeah, do you know why he wanted that one? Because I saw he actually put a note of a statistic on the script. <laughs> I did, you're right. Oh, well let, me done, if, let me see if I can find the statistic and I'll use it instead. <laughs> it's not really that big a statistic. It actually just says Danny Ings is on 21 goals, needs two to catch Vardy. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, okay. Interesting game, this one, because Danny Ings is on 21 goals and it needs <laughs> two to catch Jamie Vardy. The interesting aspect of it will be whether uh, Sheffield United can prevent him from doing that. I don't go along with all the people who say that Sheffield United should be pleased with the fact that they've missed out on European football, but they should be proud of their campaign. I think, as I've said on every podcast we've done so far, that they were robbed against Aston Villa. Everyone agrees with that anyway. The record. But the fact is that had they got those points, they'd be in the European mix and that would have been the reward that they deserve for an outstanding season. This should be a good game. I think they'll go out on a high, but I think Southampton will go out even higher. And Ralph Hasenhutl, after that 9-0 that um, Crook described, deserves a medal for recalibrating that team and getting them going again. Crikey, there's more waffle there than Belgium. Um... <laughs> informed today aren't you <laughs> I, I, do you know what I actually had sleep last night Lucy what's next okay no pressure Sam this is obviously the last one of the yeah. season yep you've got the exciting match of Burnley v Brighton oh. oh well the thing I'm looking forward to most about this game to paraphrase our good friend Alex Crook is to hear the post-match interviews with Sean gruff voice Dyche and talking about his uh, future at Burnley and Graham Harry Potter who has weaved a magic wand and turned Brighton basically into the Harlem Globetrotters after what was a uh, you know obviously they weren't playing very well beforehand and the owner didn't like the, the way that they stayed in the Premier League last year despite the fact that they'd never even been in the Premier League before however uh, this season Brighton have played slightly better Burnley, I think, have been the form, one of the form teams after uh, lockdown there, up into the top 10 of the Premier League, which must be applauded. Uh, they don't lose very many at home, do they? They've, they've, they've been pretty fantastic at home. Only six defeats at home all season. That's not bad uh, for a side with a limited budget. And you're telling me that I had waffle. More than Percy Ingle there. Yeah, but see, more people care, care about Southampton, Sheffield United than they do Burnley, Brighton. So. That's a fair point. <laughs> Last weekend of the Premier League, uh, but not the last weekend of Dream Team. Andrew Butler is here, and we've got to get a bit of fantasy football interest. How are you? You okay? Yeah, very well, Sam. How are you? Oh, we're good, thank you. Um, the first thing we have to do, though, is is that I know you're you're waiting for this. You, you said we've got to do this with Darren. I mean, Darren was late today, so we almost didn't do it with Darren. Uh, but uh, you, we said we've got to do this with Darren uh, because Darren hasn't had the opportunity, probably because he's been late, uh, to take the mickey out of you for the last two weeks. So, Darren, would you like to take the mickey out of Andrew Butler? 
well, Andrew. <laughs> I did warn you. Did I not warn you about William and Sheffield United and Chelsea? Yeah, well, Giroud scored though, didn't he? But what did Sheffield United do again? You said they're a very well-structured team. Um, th- and they've fallen off the cliff in the last two weeks. So yeah. what did they do against Chelsea? <laughs> you can't, they, they uh, you can't, well can't Chelsea. use revisionism, uh, Andrew. <laughs> the, the, the prediction that, uh, that, that Darren came up with was just before the Chelsea game, which uh, Sheffield United won by three goals to nil. You can't then backdate your banter. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, if I'd come on, if I'd come on here and said, "Yeah, David, I fancy David McGoldrick to get a couple of goals," <laughs> you would have really that's, that's the conversation would have been gone dead. <laughs> you say that you say that I think that's a sign of a good tipster who's got the cojones to come on and yeah. say no someone who gets okay. it right you're right what was it 25 games without him scoring and then thinking oh he'll probably get a couple of goals this weekend against Champions that's League right. chasing Chelsea I spoke to him actually win. after that game and I, and I reminded him that it was 446 days since he last scored a league goal I thought he was going to rip my head off to be fair <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you make a prediction like that, Andrew, you come back the following week with your head, with your T-shirt over your head, uh, with your arms punching the air, and you say, this is why you have me on. Yeah, your abs flexing. Um, right, okay, what have you got this week? <laughs> well, I thought we'd go into the final weekend, just a little bit of a look back on, on what's still to play for in terms of the, the top scoring charts. It's all about the, those players who've, uh, who've excelled this season. So, um, overall, Raheem Sterling goes into the final weekend of the Premier League season, leading the overall Dream Team scoring charts with 271 points, 20 points clear of Mo Salah, and Man City play Norwich at home, which could be 10 nil. I'm no, yeah. no exaggeration. It could be 10 nil. Well, They're well, on 97 goals as well this well, season. Well, Raheem Sterling three. only needs four goals to win the Golden Boot, doesn't he? So, I mean, yeah. it's quite possible that he could do exactly that this weekend. And it is worth pointing out, actually, that in British football, he's the top scorer, isn't he? I mean, he's got 27 yeah. goals. He's got one more than uh, Jimenez. My policy in fantasy football for a few weeks now has been just sticking anybody who's playing Norwich. It worked spectacularly yeah. with yeah. Mikhail Antonio. It worked with Chris Wood and Nick Pope last week. And Raheem Sterling is going to be in my team this weekend. Yeah, and I suppose if you do that, you won't be farking up the wrong tree. Um, Andrew, what else have you got for us? So we, I just mentioned Mo Salah. Mo Salah is the most, uh, the, sorry, the highest scoring striker. And he's probably looked set to the end of the season there too. He's 25 points clear of... Uh, Marcus Rashford uh, and speaking of English players something that will no doubt delight Gareth Southgate when when he clicks on Dream Team and, and sees the overall scoring charts um, is that the goalkeeping charts Nick Pope leads the goal, Dream Team keeping table with 122 points which is actually really impressive um, mm. ahead of Dean Henderson on 109 let's not talk about Jordan Pickford but I can mention him he's got just these 64 points Pope's um, stats look good on the surface but if you actually analyse them I think he's got quite a bad had unexpected goals against Tally, hasn't he, uh, Nick Pope? I mean, I think there's no doubt to me, I mean, just using my eyes, the best goalkeeper English-wise in the league is Dean Henderson. Would anyone disagree with that? I'd disagree with that. Would yeah, you? I probably would as well. I'd, I'd probably plump for Pope ahead of him. Would you? English yeah. football is, is, is fascinating. You know, we, we, we are the emperor's new clothes in some I'm not, and, and I don't say that to say that Dean Henderson doesn't have quality. He clearly does. But on what we've seen so far this season, uh, uh, Dean, uh, sorry, Nick Pope's numbers are comparable with Alisson's. 
I've seen Pope on a few occasions this season, and I've been more impressed with Pope than I have for Henderson. That's not saying that Henderson is not an excellent goalkeeper, because he is, and it's no point anyone listening thinking I'm criticising him. I am not. All I'm saying is that of the two, if I look at the current campaign coming to an end, I think Pope would edge it ahead of uh, Henderson for me. Mm, interesting. Uh, Andrew, what else have we got left? Yeah, it's also an English one-two at the top of the defensive charts with Trent Alexander-Arnold's late flurry of points against Chelsea, putting him on um, 210, but that's actually only 14 behind Harry Maguire. So Maguire will probably finish the season as a top point-scoring defender um, on Dream Team. But I think the real fight is who will win Dream Team uh, in, in the season game. So there's three players... Um, with 17 points separating them uh, in the top three at the top of the charts to see who will be um, the overall winner of Dream Team this season. Um, Dean Prosser leads the leaderboard with 2,466 points ahead of Lee Hancock and uh, Andrew Papadopoulos is imaginatively named Dream Team Arsenal. Um, he's got 2,449 <laughs> points. Good. Okay. Good luck to them all. Good luck. Good luck to better them. names next season. I bet they haven't got Kepper either, Balaga as their goalkeeper. Uh, right. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you later. Cheers, Andrew. Spurs are guaranteed at least seventh, but need Wolves to drop points if they do not want to worry about who wins the FA Cup. If Wolves lose at Chelsea, a point for Spurs at Crystal Palace would be enough. If they do finish seventh, they will need Chelsea to win the Cup in order to qualify for the Europa League. Um, The European placings are a little bit confusing, so let me give you a very short roundup. Manchester City, Chelsea, Wolves and Manchester United all play in European competition next month. If any of them win their trophy, they will go into next season's Champions League group stages, no matter where they finish in the league. If Manchester City, who currently are in front against Real Madrid, win the Champions League, it makes no difference to the European places in the Premier League. England will not get any extra places. But if Chelsea, who trail Bayern Munich 3-0, win the tournament, impossible by the way, and finish outside the top four, then five English teams would go into next year's Champions League with two in the Europa League. The same is true if Manchester United or Wolves finish outside the top four and win the Europa League. So what we're saying also then is if Manchester United win the Europa League and Chelsea win the FA Cup, does it then go down to eighth? No, because Chelsea will be in the Champions League. Yeah. You don't get any extra European places. You just get one taken off you. So the Europa League will be taken off us and you get an extra Champions League place. You don't get an extra place in Europe. You get an extra place in a competition. Okay. So Sheffield United can't get in by default? No. That's no, worth just highlighting that because it is quite complicating. It does change every cool. single year because in the last few years that has been the case. But I think a couple of years ago they changed it to restrict the number of teams that come from one country into Europe. It's, it's a bit of a nightmare really. But I don't think we need to worry about the fact that Chelsea are going to win the, the Champions League. A quick word on Crystal Palace against Tottenham. Jose Mourinho will constantly point out just how well he has done as the Tottenham manager and where he would have dragged them if he'd had them since the, the beginning of the season. Again, a bit like Arsenal, really. They, they aren't particularly great to watch, but they have been getting results over the last few weeks. And what what, what, do, we, what do we think about Jose Mourinho and, and what he can achieve next year, especially if he gets one of his big transfer targets in 
Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, Darren? Well, Hoiberg is an underwhelming player, but I still think that Mourinho has what it takes to change Spurs into the team that they should be. For some time, the Spurs have had this uh, criticism that they're too nice, uh, they're too easily rolled over. They kind of dispelled it in the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Well, isn't that because that um, isn't that because um, he's told them that he wants them to be nastier people in slightly more aggressive terms? Well, to be fair, I mean, even before he, he, he said that, and that clip from uh, the Amazon documentary will be some watch, won't it? Um, <laughs> the, the, the language that was used in that clip. But I remember doing a match report when early in his reign when I, I, I saw it myself. He's trying to turn choir boys into street fighters. Mm. And at the moment, they don't have that edge at the moment. I think as a team, the overhaul is still necessary. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to spend big money. You know, they could, like I was saying about the, the likes of Bournemouth, they could fish outside the box. And, and I'm mixing up some metaphors here, but um, they could, they just need to re-energize that squad. It's uh, stale. There are a number of positions where the players that have been performing there have been doing so for far too long. And they need to be moved on. They need fresh talent in that squad. Um, and they need competition for Kane. They need competition for goalkeeper. They need uh, competition at left-back. They need a new centre-half. There is so much to do at Spurs. If they start next season with only one or two incomings, they will have the same problems they had this season. Crook, they need at least four or five new players. Crook, not to let Darren off the hook, but uh, where should he be sticking his rod? Well, we know where he's going to stick his rod because he's not a manager who looks outside the box. He wants the complete package. He's not a manager who signs players to develop them. He wants them to hit the ground running and be ready here and now. And I think already we could be seeing the first uh, collision course between Mourinho and Daniel Levy. We've got the Hoybier situation. My understanding is that Everton have offered a package worth £25 million to Southampton. That's been accepted. Tottenham's bid is £15 million up front with £4 million in add-ons. So they're not too far away. Effectively, they're quibbling over £6 million. We know that Hoybier wants to go to Spurs. His social media team have already prepared a video to unveil him as a Tottenham player. Um, so he probably will end up there. But if the deal falls through because Daniel Levy won't pay the extra £6 million, that isn't a great start to the summer or a great sign of the relationship between Crook, chairman and manager. Crook, Crook I'm not being funny. For once, I back Daniel Levy. Let's see how good Hoiberg is. Because he's not worth nothing he's at not the £25 moment. million pound player. No is it, chance. To be honest. No chance is he £25 million. Pound Although, if listen, Mourinho if you go wants back, him and, you, and he's wanted him since January, yeah. then Daniel Levy's going to have to pay the money. And if you go Let's, back in time to, I think, 2016, 15, 16, maybe even further back, Pep Guardiola loves this kid. He loves this kid. He, he, he tries to develop him as uh, the heartbeat of the Bayern Munich team when he's six, 17, 18, I think, at the time. He tries to put um, a lot of responsibility on him. He gets a horrible injury. He has to go away. And obviously, as a result of that, he ended up being moved on by by uh, Bayern Munich to, to Southampton. So he's obviously got talent. He's got something because he's been hunted by... Well, he's been spotted by Pep Guardiola and hunted by Jose Mourinho. So he has something. Hassan Hull's put Sam, a lot of trust in him as well. I, I don't doubt that he has talent, Sam. But tell me, you tell me, what does he do? What would you get for £25 million? Bournemouth paid £19 million for Dominic Solanke. He's a better footballer than Dominic Solanke. Well, you tell me then, Crook. What does he do? Well, he, what he does is he keeps the ball well. He keeps it ticking over. He does make the odd mistake, I think, which is maybe when he tries to overplay a little bit, personally. But he, he's a good, solid 
he actually is more of a box-to-box midfielder than, yes, than many midfielders in the Premier League that seem to have one sort of position and, 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 and can't do both. But he can defend, but he can also get forward too. He strikes me as a better fit for Tottenham and for Jose Mourinho because of his tactical awareness than for Everton, who for me are crying out for a bit of dynamism in midfield, a bit of flair. He doesn't bring that, but he is box to box. He's got a good engine. He can be reckless at times. He's had uh, more than one sending off at Southampton. Doesn't score many goals when he does their spectacular, but I think Mourinho sees a player at 24 years of age that he can still develop yeah. and he's got a lot of Premier League football under his belt. And it goes back to my point, he's ready-made and go straight into the team. And also, nothing smacks of entertainment and getting bums back on seats at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium than a midfield duo of Eric Dyer and Pierre Emil Hoybier, does it? You know, season ticket renewals just started coming flooding in. Should we mention Palace briefly? I mean, there's not a lot to say, is there? But they've been trying. They'll change their manager in the summer, won't they? Well, I Darren, think they will. Surely, I think they will. I've said, um, that, I said that last. I mean, I said it in December. They have to change because long term they can't plan if, if Royce Hodgson is still the manager, and it hasn't worked after the restart at all. No, and they're lucky. You mentioned it to me privately the other night as they were 2-0 down against Wolves. That They're fortunate that they were already safe yeah. pretty much before the restart because they are probably bottom of the form table just about along with Norwich. Mm. Yeah, I mean, seven, is it seven defeats in seven a row? Seven defeats in a row, yeah. They, they are a side with their flip-flops on, with their heads on the beach, and I think they need a new energy. Yeah, but they're not, um, though, are they? That, that, that's one of the most worrying things about it, is they haven't actually been like that. They've, they've actually tried to compete in games and not mm. been able to do so. They could have gone ahead in, in the Aston Villa game, but for a VAR decision. They, they tried to compete with Chelsea and, then, and still got, got beat in that game. They've been hurt by the loss of Cahill in that game. Um, yes, I think had Cahill still been available, well, they wouldn't have even conceded that first goal if it hadn't been for that injury to Gary yeah. Cahill. Okay, well, let me ask you guys: You're talking about the manager of Palace and whether or not he should still be in his job at the end of this season or maybe going into next season. How many of the twenty managers do you think will be in place when the new campaign kicks off? We think in the second week of September. Okay, let's go through it. Liverpool, Klopp, yes. Man City, Pep Guardiola, yes. United, yes. Chelsea, yes. Leicester. United, yes. Even if they don't win either the Europa League or finish in the top four? Guaranteed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And actually, there's been progress made under Solskjaer. He deserves it. I'd one agree. more transfer I'd agree. window. I'd agree. Absolutely. I'd agree. Um, Leicester, yes. Nuno, yes. Mourinho, yes. Sheffield United, yes. Burnley, I say no. Mm. I, I think if an opportunity comes Sean Dyche's way... Where's he going to go? I think he doesn't have to go anywhere. I think he could go and recharge his batteries. Yeah, have maybe. A rest. Not, I, not a Sean Dyche thing to do, by Why the way. not? He's a young man, a relatively young man. Why Why not? Mm. Go have, Pochettino's doing it. Yeah. Go away, have uh, six months off, have a break, come back, re-energised. A job will come up in after the first 10 games of next season. True. Someone somewhere will panic and press the press the panic button and suddenly there will be Sean Dyche ready to go in and do a job um, uh, Arsenal obviously will keep their manager Everton will keep theirs Southampton have committed to keeping theirs Newcastle United under Steve Bruce Ooh. if their takeover goes through then that will change won't it yeah but that's a longer running saga than the mousetrap I think he'll keep his job can I just say I've been pretty defensive as Steve Bruce I, I think he's a better manager than a lot of people say but I watched Newcastle at Brighton this week mm. dear oh dear 
they had 25% possession the first 40 minutes of that game. And if Newcastle fans have to sit through that week after week, I can understand why there's a lot of um, disharmony there in the terraces. Well, if you look at the expected goals table, they're bottom by a mile. They are, you know, expected goals and points. They're, they're rock bottom. Um, OK, so Newcastle might change. That's two we've gone to. Crystal Palace, I think, need a change. Um, Lee Johnson, possibly Lee? going in there. Where? where? Crystal Palace. Really? That's mm, a big pro- I've heard. That's a big promotion from a team that couldn't get up in the playoffs from the championship, isn't it? Frank Lampard went to Chelsea after he couldn't get Derby up. No, but Bristol City's a slightly different model, isn't it? I mean, he's been there for a while. It's not like he's only been there for five minutes. He's, and he didn't, couldn't get Derby up. He, he overachieved with Derby to get them into the playoffs. Even the owner, Mill Morris, said Ooh, that. Look at your spin there. Oh. Didn't they finish in the same league position two years in a row? Yeah, but with a completely different um, playing squad, had to be adjusted for FFP. Don't convince me. It's fine. I'm not convincing you. I'm already convinced. Um, West Ham. They're going to yeah, keep he deserves manager, shot, yeah, he? he stays. He stays. I know he stays. He okay. Stay. Well, that's that's good because he deserves to. Uh, Brighton aren't going to change their manager. Dean Smith at Aston Villa. I keep Dean Smith personally. I think they will stick with him regardless. If they go down, he knows how to get them up. Uh, if he stays up, he deserves a chance to keep it, to, to build on his work. He's got to stay. Okay. Watford? <laughs> are we talking about today or are we talking about next month or the month after? <laughs> um, Bournemouth? I think he will not get fired regardless of what division they're in. It will be up to Eddie Howe if he feels he will get the right backing from the board, the Russian owner, to mount a promotion push. If he doesn't get those assurances he may feel he's taken the club as far as he can he might walk and finally Norwich uh, Daniel Farker off no he knows how to get out of that league they'll keep him I think they'll keep him until October and then after they've made a poor start he'll get fired and and, and Leeds United will they still have Marcelo Bielsa by the time they get into the Premier League or is he going to uh, is he going to run out because they changed the brand of ketchup in the canteen or something (laughs) they're going to give him big money I've already seen tales of him sniffing out Cavani um, which that would be some signing if they could pull it off but he's an ambitious manager and he'll want backing to compete in the Premier League if you got him to get you into the big time why would you not back him he Uh, states they're not going to get Eric Backer I mean that leads to Love Affair went a long time ago didn't it that's an Eric Backer joke do you know who Eric Backer is no no No. he used to play for Leeds cut that bit out Luke (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to save his embarrassment <laughs> oh I actually heard the tumbleweed there <laughs> actually leave it in <laughs> yeah. oh dear what a show the ultimate preview is back ahead of the FA Cup final and championship playoff final please rate and review and tell all your friends to download it too and don't forget this weekend is full on football the championship playoffs Leicester versus Manchester United I'll be there live for Talk Sport Chelsea versus Wolves on Talk Sport 2 and Crook is going to be at Crystal Palace against Tottenham looking forward to it big game for Spurs and that too is live on the app isn't it it is, yeah, on the TalkSport app. Just uh, select the game you want to listen to. A lot of Spurs fans, I'm sure, will be tuning in. Uh, buckle up. It's going to be some ride. And, oh, Crook, before we go, about next season. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. 
be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 